Okay, um, good evening, Sam. Um, I'd like to say, first of all, thank you very much for kindly agreeing to be interviewed this evening. Um, Sam is here, um, works for AQA, and you've come to talk about how you've transformed your organisation's approach to performance management. Um, we've got a number of questions for you, so obviously we'll work our way through those. Um, so I think before we, before we start, if, um, if you could actually give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself. So what do you do now? Uh, what's your current role and what's your experience? Of course. Uh, so my name is Sam Netherwood uh, and currently I'm an organisational development consultant at AQA uh, who are a large um, education charity. So primarily our business is in uh, examinations, uh, sort of delivery of, of papers, marking of papers, that kind of thing. Um, and I've worked for um, almost eight, eight years now in this kind of field, so in learning and organisational development, um, in uh, solely in, in not-for-profit organisations. So um, I started in social housing, um, I worked in higher education uh, and now um, for, for an educational charity. So doing, doing this kind of work is, is pretty much solely uh, not-for-profit. Um, but are a, Previously, I was a designer, um, so I graduated from university with a degree in product design uh, and then was uh, spent quite a long time as a very unsuccessful product designer. Um, so by that meaning, I never actually worked as one. Um, <laughs> did, did, no, not, not for want of trying, um, but I did all, all kinds of different things. So um, me, me and, a, and a couple of the guys I graduated with set up a terrible uh, consultancy. Uh, I think we made 1,500 quid each over six months, uh, which wasn't quite enough to move out of, of home. Um, we did packaging, we did some web design, I did bits. Uh, I ended up working as a restaurant manager, as a salesman, all kinds of different roles. Uh, and then ended up working in a, in a design agency. Uh, we did a lot of work for the Building Schools for the Future okay. program. Yes. Um, and then when, when, the, when the government changed in 2010, all the funding um, for building schools for the future disappeared and, and so did all of our work. So that was a kind of a, a, a job on a Friday, not having a job on a Monday kind of situation. Um, and that's kind of how I accidentally fell into learning and development. So it was a three month temporary role I, I was offered um, and I ended up there for six years um, before, before moving on. So that's how I ended up here. Okay, thank you. So you've talked about the, the context around, um, I suppose, the organisation that you're working in, and it is not for profit. It's more around the, the actual, you know, in terms of um, how you transfer performance management, but the actual context of the organisation then at that point in time okay. when you were looking to do that. In which we did, we did that project. Yes. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, so a, a, AQA is, is about um, a thousand core staff. So it's interesting in terms of the dynamic of the organization, how it's made up in terms of people. So you've got kind of a thousand core staff, but obviously delivering exams, GCSE and A-level exams, we have huge peaks and troughs. So right now we're in our peak, we've doubled in size. In okay. terms of core staff, we have huge numbers of temporary staff that help us out over, over the summer, of which obviously in some way, shape or form, performance relates to. Um, perhaps even more important that it's, 
the impact of, of our approach to performance is immediate for those people who come in maybe for three, four months over the summer. Um, but then we also have about um, 25, 30,000 associates. Um, so they would, the, that relationship there would be a contractor uh, to AQA. They help us to write our assessments. They help us to mark our exams, all of that kind of yes. stuff. So, yes. uh, but, but primarily to kind of in terms of this particular project in relation to performance management, we're talking about kind of a thousand core staff plus those, those temporary um, people who come in to help us in, in our peak. Um, and uh, the, the organization kind of has probably all of those relationships with performance that we'd probably be familiar with in some way, shape or form, uh, particularly you know, perhaps in, in a, in a not-for-profit organization or an organization that operates more like you might find in the public sector um, so not huge um, not huge impetus or desire to want to change the relationship with performance a strange relationship with performance um, so perhaps performance is considered uh, a tick box exercise that we just need to do once or twice a year uh, it's a way for us to measure data on people it's purely a mechanism to drive uh, things like talent or pay processes uh, rather than as a mechanism to help improve the organization's performance yes. yeah um, so lots lots of those kind of uh, things going on also in terms of the context this this was part of a, a much wider culture change effort um, was kind of operating independently of some of those things rather than being taken systemically so something like performance that has relationships and interdependence with lots of other processes lots of other human Um, and obviously, you know, given all of that, given that that culture and given that that sort of um, no impetus or desire to change, um, would you like to talk through what what the challenge um, was that you actually faced um, and what what outcomes were you seeking? What was it you were trying to achieve from this? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, there, there are lots of challenges that we could probably take 40 minutes okay. uh, to, to, to talk through. Um, but I guess what we're sort of thinking of is the, is the design challenge is the first thing, um, which I kind of mentioned that um, this had already sort of started uh, when I came into the organisation uh, and there wasn't really a design challenge. So the reason why we wanted to change our performance management approach from what was existing to a new one wasn't particularly clear. Okay. So what do we want it to do and what are the drivers underneath that are telling us mm -hmm. we, need, we need to change this? Um, and that was the first piece of work really was to, to articulate that. And actually what we wanted to do was kind of go back to what, what you might describe as sort of the, the, the roots, the noble roots of performance management in the first place. So performance management kind of 
mean, in a very, and this is a very simplistic way to think about it, but to do something better tomorrow than we did today, yes. right? as individuals yeah. and as an organisation, is to improve the organisation's performance through people. Um, and, and that's kind of what we wanted to go back to, um, rather than that it's a mechanism to drive, you know, that, that this performance stuff exists so we can populate a nine box grid and keep the HR people happy, right? That there's like 90% of those numbers are back sitting in a database somewhere and we can all be safe. We can sleep safely at night knowing yes. that yeah. HR have those numbers to do nothing with. Um, <laughs> so so, so that, that they're kind of some of the things that we, that we wanted to move away from, but that wasn't clear. Uh, initially so obviously then that that kind of confuses the organization which poses another challenge that the 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 organization is not 100 percent sure why you're going to have conversations yes. with them or why these yes. conversations happened um and the conversations that had happened before i came so what, what i kind of got handed over in terms of consultation was really starting at the point and, the, and this was this was a a, a big challenge to get over because kind of exec team have been engaged in some of this stuff as well. Right? It was about 15 people have been asked, what do you want? And that's always a terrible question to ask, a terrible place to start when you want to design something. Right? So you're going to fall into the trap of, you know, the, the kind of the classic Henry Ford uh, kind of if, if he'd have asked his customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. And so what, what we had basically were 15 people articulating only what they'd had experience of yes. before. Yeah. So we need performance ratings and we need better, we need bigger descriptions in a nine box grid. These are only a paragraph. We need maybe a 65 page booklet <laughs> on how to do this. Uh, and that's kind of what we had in terms of the foundations to try and build this, okay. this approach on. Um, so that was a big challenge then, because then, you know, some of the exec team were, were part of these conversations in the first. Yes, of stuff yeah. of this, this what we want, and actually we can work out what the organisation needs, what people need rather than what, what they're articulating that they want. So there are a number of challenges that we, you know, first we had to, we had to define this, this, this design challenge. Yes. And we want them, you know, to, the, the, the outcome is that we want to improve the organization's performance through people. Uh, and then a few of these other things that we kind of, we had to navigate through in terms of the conversations that had already happened and therefore sort of the expectations that, that people had associated with the conversations they'd had. Okay. So you said there some that um, what hadn't happened was going out and engaging um, people engaging the organisation. Um, so in terms of your approach and what you actually did, if you'd like to talk us through that, please. So I guess uh, some of this comes from my background is that, that my approach would be more and more naturally leaning towards design thinking uh, and, and iteration and understanding the need rather than the one or or the yes. or actually yeah. sometimes the want is is actually a rearticulation of the dislike. Um, so I hate this. So I'm going to talk about something that sounds a bit like the opposite, rather than actually what's what's needed. Um, so the, the approach I prefer, particularly you know when you're working in an organisation <clears throat> of any size really, but let alone one that's kind of a thousand people and then doubles in size. And so, so we're dealing with quite a complex organisation a complex adaptive system where we don't really understand even when people are talking about it what the relationship between cause and effect is yes so this is happening so we want to get rid of the old performance approach where actually the cause is nothing to do 
with the performance approach and yeah. there might be a problem uh, elsewhere. Um, so the first thing really was to start talking to people and observing kind of the, the way that people work, spend time with them, looking at their interactions between uh, themselves as people within a team or between that team and, a, and another area of the organization and kind of look at what we so what, what is it you're trying to achieve in terms of performance uh, as, as individuals and look, look at perhaps some of the bugs or the problems the barriers in the system that are stopping that from from happening and trying to do that without any preconception of it's this old performance approach is causing all of these these problems um, and that was the first step really was to start uh, looking at, at what the need was um, at the same time I mentioned that, that we're, we're doing this work on culture where we'd started to articulate as an organization what we aspired our culture to feel more like we want it to move towards this away from from this um, and so some of the stories that, that we pulled together some of the observations some of the workshops that we ran to help understand what the need was in relation to performance. We could then look at side by side with um, what we wanted the culture to feel like. So we can see where there's congruence or incongruence. Yes. So actually, if this is what we want the, the, the culture to feel like, here are the things in relation to performance that are the antithesis of that. It's the opposite. This particular process or this interaction is driving the exact opposite behavior. Yeah from the one we want. So in, in that respect, an example would be, would be the nine box grid uh, that, that we used. Also the, the kind of link that we had between, uh, or the relationship with objectives actually in the first place with people's objectives were the way that that was done was the exact opposite of accountability. It was the exact opposite of encouraging ambition. The way that we did objectives in the organization encouraged people to sandbag, to be super, super safe to make sure that they get their rating and they can put that into the magic black hole that was this database and again feel safe in the knowledge that i've got my three or four or five whatever the yes the, the best yeah. possible score was so the these these stories that we had help, helped us to be able to articulate those things so here, here are the things that are are driving uh, the exact opposite behavior from those that we aspire to. But at the same time, it helped us to identify where, where there was good practice. And so how can we take that good practice and make it common practice? Or sometimes where was the common sense yes. being applied? And you know, because common sense isn't always common practice either. So how can we scale common sense up um, in relation to what we're trying to achieve from a performance perspective so so those two things really helped us then to design a set of, well they, they were design principles actually uh, that we used to build the approach um, so we, we ended up with three design principles for performance the first being and um, that goals are set collaboratively in response to key business challenges and by business challenges we meant strategic challenges so um, the here was a missing connection for people in the organization that we're setting we're setting goals for no reason and objectives for no reason other than to get a score out at the other end goals are not set to help the organization execute its strategy so for a lot of people in the organization there was a huge disconnect between strategy and their work at the execution of strategy strategy itself was somebody else's domain okay. that's what yeah. senior people do they write strategy, we do this over here. So actually you've got uh, 
and this is a kind of a bit of an arbitrary simplification, but you've got a bunch of people writing strategy and a bunch of people trying everything they can to not execute it. Yeah. Um, so, so, that, so there wasn't much actual de delivery of that strategy happening. So the first design principle was around that really, how can we get people to collaboratively set goals okay. to, to, to help us meet key business challenges. Uh, the second was a pretty simple one is that dialogue conversation around performance is continuous. Um, so again, the, the, this was kind of based on some of the stories that we hear, but both positive and, and, and not so positive, right? That um, conversations are happening very mechanically um, and they're happening only at a point in the year when they're prompted to do so. So that means that, you know, some of the people are only talking about their growth uh, and their learning and their career once a year, yes. even more problematically for the organization, people are only having problems in performance confronted once a year, if ever, right? So those things basically uh, fester these problems and, and they build themselves up over a period of time until there is the appropriate conversation. When the HR tell us this is when we can confront these problems in the form of giving someone a bad performance rating, yes. putting them in the bottom left-hand corner of the, of the nine box grid, and then again, doing nothing with it. Um, so we want to encourage you know, that design principle that these, these conversations have to be all the time and they have to be as in the moment as possible. And that means when we're talking about somebody's growth and learning is that we, 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 we can't disconnect those, those things. Right? Your performance and what you learn about it, we have to close the feedback loop and make it as short as possible. Right? But what, what kind of was happening, even where people were having those conversations more regularly, is that they're, they're trying to dis detach, disentangle the two. Yeah. The performance is one thing and learning is completely another. So therefore people's relationship with learning is more like it's a course or a workshop that I can go on more than it's a series of experiences that I've had that I could talk to my colleagues about and I can share and, and, we, and we, we can do that iteratively as, as well. Uh, so that was the second principle and the third is that people own their own evaluation. We self-evaluate our performance against our goals, both in terms of performance goals and, and learning as well. Um, that we move away from this, again, once a year maybe somebody else comes along and gives me a rating. And that then those ratings, which effectively just numerically articulate a subjective view of the world and sort of the, 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 there was a lot of these kind of stories we were hearing where we sort of think that giving something a number makes it super quantitative and it's like you know if I ask people to look outside and sort of say oh Liz did, did you know describe what give today a rating out of 10 and you say nine but I say it's a seven we're both right but what's the point in sitting in a room calibrating those those things when when they're both still subjective and that's where a huge amount of effort was going so if we could flip that a bit and say that we again we iteratively we self-evaluate we're responsible for for evaluating our own performance based on feedback and learning that we that we get all the time um, from sort of everywhere around us from talking to our peers from inviting feedback from customers from looking at data is that we can track our own progress and we can course correct um, so also in, in a kind of the, the way that performance was set up and I find performance set up in a lot, in a lot of organizations, it's not set up for learning. It's set up more for compliance. Mm 
right? So that we had some objectives at the start of the year, and when we come round to the end of the year, we need to have completed those. Um, and one of those things that, that uh, AQA particularly, I think, suffers with is what I call it an anti-pattern of escalation of commitment. Right, so we said we were going to do something, so we're going to do it if it kills us, despite the fact it may now be the wrong thing to do. You know, what we know now is not what we know in three months' time. And if what we know in three months' time is that this goal is going to cause harm, we should probably stop. We should cause, or we should acknowledge that this is still the right thing to do, but we're off course. And so that idea of, of, of course correction sort of comes in there. We, we self-evaluate. And we and we course correct. So they were the, they were the design principles then that we sort of took to the business. And this, in terms of the approach, was where it kind of got um, really well, exciting and really painful uh, at, at the same time, um, because then we've made some assumptions, right, based on all of these conversations that we've had, the stories that we've heard. Is is that I particularly, you know, I've I've used my experience and and my expertise, but still made some assumptions that we then need to go and test. Um, and because we're dealing with a complex system, my, my approach and my belief is that we don't then just take those assumptions and make them into an initiative, go to the exec team, get it signed off and launch it on, on one day with balloons and branded cupcakes and mouse mats. Um, in my, my experience of doing things like that and with laminated posters, it, it does, doesn't work particularly effectively. And it's more through how can we then take these assumptions and experiment yes. with them yeah. and, and test. So, I think a guy that I really like and his work to, work, work's really sort of helped in this project, a guy called David Snowden, um, who uh, he created years ago a, a framework called Kinevin, which, which is a, a Welsh word. Essentially, it's a framework for, for understanding the kind of system that we are dealing with. Is it ordered? Is it complex? Is it chaotic? Um, and his advice here, if we can sort of paraphrase massively, is that when you're dealing with a complex and adaptive system, what you need to do is set clear boundaries and then drop in what he calls catalytic probes. So these are, these are things that you will uh, get people to play with almost. So, and, and see what people gravitate towards and yes. see, see what works and start to see what kind of reaction people have as an experiment, not as a huge mm -hmm. initiative. So then we can sort of see what, what people um, respond to. Um, but in a way that we, we can look for changes in behavior and it, rather than just saying to people, do you like this idea or this idea? Because yes. um, again, it, often what I found, particularly when we're, we're looking for, for new behaviors. So within this, that we, we, to achieve this culture, performance is going to be a huge driver. As a, as a process, as a philosophy, performance is going to be a massive driver of behavior within this culture that we're after. So if it drives the wrong ones, we're screwed basically. Um, but that doesn't mean that driving the right behaviors is going to be easy for people. So again, it's not so when we when we drop something in one of these catalytic probes, right, so we, we built um, a method around setting collaborative goals. So um, a, t a tool essentially that people could use to do that for some people, it's really painful. So for a leader of a team to 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 go from let's say for 1520 years, they've set goals on behalf of the team. They've done it and then they've told the team, right, here are our goals, off we go. We need to get these done in the next 12 months. For them to suddenly not be able to do that and they have to become coach and facilitator to draw out of and allow the team to design goals themselves. 
So there can be a painful trust issue yes. there. Yeah. Um, so actually, what you know, what, what if my people can't do it? What if they get it wrong? What if they, but you trust them to to do their job? So we have to trust them to 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 be able to build these these goals as well. And that was kind of that was kind of painful, but. The, the the difficult thing and the challenge then is when something is painful not to stop yeah. and say that it's not effective and it's not working mm -hmm. just because it was painful. Because I think sometimes what what, um, what people would love to happen, particularly I guess this might have been my experience sometimes with, with senior with my senior leadership team or particularly senior people in, in, in people group in human resources is that we want you to come back with really lovely stories of how this immediately in 30 minutes transformed people's life. <laughs> and they will, and, and they, in, in half an hour, an hour, they unlearn 35 years worth of behavior and develops a future's worth of new behavior. Um, and it didn't, it didn't happen uh, like that. But at the same time, some, some stuff went wrong. Or some stuff didn't, didn't work and some stuff we'd missed. Um, so, so undertaking these experiments and, and trying new things, and of what, what people were saying is, what about horizontal alignment of goals? Yes. Right. So, what we'd started to establish is this methodology that, that we um, we were using, uh, which might broadly be known as, I guess, as bubble up goal setting. Right. So, we're not doing top, top down cascades. Uh, it's not waterfall, but nor is it bottom up. Um, so we don't want to go, we, 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 we had command and control, we don't want to go for anarchy, free for all either. So bubble up, it was, it's, it's, it's probably unfair to describe it as meeting somewhere in the middle, but essentially the top down bit is direction, strategic direction, and then goals bubble up towards that in teams, we come together, we collaboratively yes. set goals. And that doesn't have to be done in a hierarchical way, it can be done in a parallel Yes. Yeah. Process. So an exec team can do their goal setting towards those strategic challenges at the same time an operational team can do it. Um, we started to find that was quite successful in driving the kind of conversations that we wanted to have, but also we found that we were missing something. They were like, this is great to do vertical alignment to strategy, but what about congruence across the organization? So people were telling us stories and what we found that what you might best describe as <clears throat> two entire business areas, hundreds of people playing a giant game of tug of war, right? So one, one business area's goal is on one end, one business area is on the other, and they're just pulling as hard as they can and getting nowhere. Um, so what people were sort of describing there is we need a mechanism, we need help to have the kind of conversations that are going to help us um, align horizontally as well. And that was something that until we'd done those experiments, we hadn't really considered hugely and we probably wouldn't have known unless we'd have gone and had those conversations so you see if we'd have launched that as a big initiative and just taken this as a paper to the exec team yeah. and said right let's go with this we, we would have missed that we would have missed that completely um, and and that was like I say it was a powerful and painful experience at, at the same time um, so I guess some of this helps because I have a background in design where this yes. happened quite a, quite a lot, but still something when you take something out to a group of people and they rip it to pieces, it kind of <laughs> st stings a little bit, especially when underneath it, there might be a glimmer that that's actually helping. It's helping them to have a different kind of conversation. Yeah. It's just that the kind of conversation they're having, but the one they need to have is a bit painful and scary for them. So actually it might be easier to just rip this 
concept to shreds and say we're not going to mm -hmm. we're not going to do it so some of that was really painful but it, it was a, a hugely beneficial experience especially when you can find across the organization these really energized groups of people and by energized i don't mean just groups of people who think exactly the same way you do and say yes to everything oh this is great yeah just let's just scale it up they want to try new things and they want to try and break the new thing and suggest a, an alternative but when you get those groups of people who've got energy for it then it becomes a really a really powerful yes. yeah. experience and then they can start to do a lot of the legwork for you right so instead of having to do the laminated poster or the screensaver or, or the mouse mat or the branded cupcakes is they can go and tell stories to other people yes. about the experience yeah. that they had so when you get you know for for example a, a leadership team in a particular business area have this conversation to set collaborative goals and describe it as one of the most powerful conversations that they've ever had together so it's not just that they came out with some some great goals that they shared and they can say, I can see a place for myself personally to contribute to this, is that they're describing a really, really powerful conversation, one that they've never had before because they hadn't had the structural environment in which, yeah. which to do it, is then it becomes a really positive, powerful experience. And that's kind of how we ended up at the four elements of the, the, the approach that we've got, which is intended to be a continuous iterative approach to, to performance management. So we, we set collaborative goals, we align them through conversations, not through a silver bullet. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. you know, we, we go through a checklist in April and right, we're magically aligned forever. It's through a series of conversations. We um, achieve our individual <coughs> contributions and we grow through check-ins, okay. through conversations that we have all the time. And we, we lean towards check-ins moving away from the relationship the organization had with one-to-ones which were these mechanical have you done all the tasks mm. you were supposed mm. to do is that actually they should feel like growth conversations yes yeah so whether they're difficult or whether you know because they're challenging something or whether they inspire you inspire you because you've discovered something that you couldn't do before or something that you're going to go and try that you have never done before that they should feel like growth not about tick 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 yeah. so that's kind of how we ended up with the those four elements okay so you you talked through there some in terms of uh, obviously a significant transformation there for the organization given the culture um at that point as well so a real shift um and you talked there around some of the positives around going out and and talking to people and doing the workshops and hearing those stories but also some of the pain as well um if you can just talk through um some of the things that stand out for you that actually you feel went particularly well in terms of this approach so the iteration and experimentation bit although i would say that we could have amplified that and done it more okay um i think that was th that really helped the approach because kind of particularly in in, in people group where i work it's been it's it's been generally that that typical delivery model of we've got a people plan or a culture plan whatever we want to refer to it as that's got some initiatives in and they've got some milestones they operate separately we take them for sign off and then we launch them to the organization but then that in itself poses a massive challenge that 
particularly to me is familiar from the organizations that I've worked in before, where, where the people that we're asking to take on board and adopt and embed these new approaches, which is the entire organization, but particularly we put a lot on people managers yeah. in terms of their responsibility, is how many things they're trying to juggle. Right? And particularly when a lot of the time, by their own design or by poor job role design within the organization, is, is that they just feel they often don't have the time. Maybe sometimes their job role is skewed 95% towards being a subject matter expert and just 5% towards my people. And then you're asking me to do this, 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 and then this performance thing comes along and a new talent program and all of, all of these kind of things. Um, and I think a way to get away from that is to use experimentation. As, as, a, as a mechanism to learn yes. and for people to adopt new habits and new behaviors. Uh, and like I said, I think we could have amplified that massively, uh, but we also, at the same time, we, we, we did apply that to um, a talent program okay. and completely different context, talent program, completely different to, to overhauling performance management as an approach, but it worked really well there as well in terms of its transformational aspects. So there are people who six months down the line are describing themselves now as a completely different person. Yet that program has had no content. It's not had a single PowerPoint slide. It's not had a single uh, module or piece of e-learning. It's purely been helping people to adopt experimentation and adaptive capability as a, as a way of, of working. Um, so I think for me, that's one of the things that's been massively successful and I usually see its value in terms of performance management because the easiest thing to do would have been for me to say, well, at my previous organization, I did a similar project. Do you want to do that? Worked really well and we'll lift and shift and dump it in the organization. Um, but my experience of lift and shift is that that really, yes. really works. Yeah. Organization is not feeling the same thing. It's a completely different place. Um, so I th and so I think that again experimentation can help you identify this you know those the, this idea of catalytic probes yes. let's drop this in as a tool for people to use and see if people migrate to it and start to use it start to adopt it and despite pain or excitement or energy does it does it start to shift and change performance in the way that we had a hypothesis of it of it doing um, I think that's that's been um, probably the, 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 the most successful thing about the way we've gone about it. And I think that's, that's why we've managed to get it adopted yes. in an organization yeah. that, if I'm being really blunt about it, probably didn't want 95% of the things we suggested uh, to happen. They were like, oh God, no, that sounds awful. What? I can't I just tell people like I did last time and the year before and the year before, mm. year before that. And why do we have to, have, I want to just talk about these bloody tasks, right? We need this and this doing like i don't want to ask someone what's the most important thing we should be talking about what if that takes an hour <laughs> these these kind of these kind of challenges that we were were facing i think it's been part of the reason why we managed to get these adopted and we've you know got some tech some software to support the okay. approach and we we're delivering alongside it kind of education done in a very different yes. way not the course yeah. delivery model the organization have been used to i don't think that we'd have been able to do it if we hadn't had groups of people who weren't from people groups saying, oh, do you know what, we have this experience and this is what happens. You build advocacy, 
yes. rather than yeah. rather than having to to um, force advocacy from your own perspective. And on the flip side of that, what could have gone better for you? Okay. Well, so again, we could probably take forty-five minutes talking about what could have, <laughs> what, what could have gone better. Sounds out for you. Um, so I think so. Actually, Roger and I, right, when we first met, he 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 showed me this OKR manifesto. I should mention, actually, I guess I'm not mentioned OKRs in this, right? Is that our OKRs comes into our approach in terms of setting collaborative goals and achieving our individual contributions. That's, that's the OKR bit. We just don't use that language. Okay. So we've taken the philosophy and the spirit of OKRs, but we haven't used the language yes. necessarily. Yeah. Um, but it was the, the, the bit, that, so when I first met Roger, he talked to me about this OKRs as a philosophy and I kind of had a bit of a light bulb moment. I was like, yeah, it is a philosophy. Um, and then he showed me this manifesto and I was like, ah, we couldn't have met three months ago, could we? <laughs> and I could have had this, because what the manifesto sets out really clearly, which, and again, this comes back to where sometimes my tendency in the past has been to argue my own position rather than to let people have an experience and perhaps me have it with them and we feel what that experience yes. creates. I've spent a lot of time arguing my my position and even if I'm trying to do that perhaps I think oh, right, I'll go for like a storytelling approach or whatever it is that I don't know if you've ever had that kind of experience where you've been in the same different conversation and so I've said one thing and said this is my position this is how performance works this is all the evidence the research on goal setting and gone out the room and heard somebody describe something completely different to to their colleague yes. because context is so massively at play um, but I do think that that manifesto helps to get round some of those contextual issues, people's different perspectives of performance. So if you could say we value ambition over sandbagging when it comes to goals, and you can have a conversation about that. We value growth over tasks. We value learning from mistakes over sweeping mistakes under the carpet and positioning those things really clearly. And actually what I really love is, is actually the idea of getting people to physically sign, again, exec team to sign it or whoever, a group of people that you're working with to do some experiments is this is what we're gonna value. This is what we value and this is what we sign up to. Um, I think that would have helped massively because we have had lots and lots of the barriers that we've come up against have been because of this, this context filter that we're dealing with. So I, I'll describe something. Here's an experience and a set of reactions that people had to that experience. Here are the outputs. Um, it did work or it didn't work. Um, and then context was at play and somebody thought they understood what I was saying, but actually their interpretation was something completely yes. different. Yeah. I think that that would have been really powerful to have something like that, that manifesto to make it clear is that, well, if we want this to happen, Here's all the stuff that we have to sign up to, and here's the stuff we've got to drop. We can no longer do this anymore. I think it would have been really helpful. Okay, and you, well, you may have already touched on this, and this is the last question from me. You'll be pleased to know, but from, and then we'll we'll go to the group in terms of um, any questions that they'll have for you, and I'm sure they will. Um, what would you see as the two key learnings, I suppose, that you'd like to share mm. with the group? Um, for anyone that's looking to make a similar transformation in their organisation. Um, so I think it's, it's interesting because what we did, I did, we did, we did talk about this on the phone actually that I'd recently done with, with a group of people um, a, a bit of a retrospective mm -hmm. on this, on this 
Um, so, so I used a, a, something called the celebration grid to do that, which looks at mistakes, experiments and practices and failure and successes relating to those things. Um, and actually what it looks to do is to celebrate learning that came from yes. both of those things, yeah. to celebrate the learning from success and failure. And that was really interesting because some patterns started to come out. So I think one of, one of the things that I'd learned that I would encourage people to sort of think about is that um, immaturity in an organization, whether that's immaturity in relation to leadership, performance management, whatever it, it my goal setting, is that immaturity is not a viable excuse to carry on doing the wrong thing. Um, so what, 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 what kind of was, was on the table when I first started this project was the organization is really immature when it comes to performance management. We don't have the leadership capability. Managers aren't having the right conversations. What, you, what you're talking about, Sam, is too advanced, right? Is that what we need to do is we need to do performance ratings and get the nine box grid right. And well, actually what we're describing is playing to the lowest common denominator, right? Is make, build, build a framework for our worst managers. I don't want to do that. What we want to do is create a framework for Alan, for other people to have a bit of a jolting experience, derail the train and have an experience that helps them to develop a different kind of context. So I, and I think kind of, you know, I think it was Peter Drucker said this, that the, the, the writer you do the wrong thing, the wronger you become. So the more we try to continuously improve the wrong, the fundamentally the wrong things for our organizations, the wronger we're going to be and the worse the output yes. is going to get. So I think it kind of feeling a bit scary, you know, I don't know how safe this is to do something. Managers might not be comfortable with this. Well, do you know what? They won't be comfortable with it. And that's the point. So if you're going to change behavior and, and if we take behavior very broadly as being what we, what we build up over a lifetime of, of learning different things and, and the habits that we adopt is that yeah it's going to be painful um but that doesn't mean that it's an excuse to to not do it um so that was kind of a real big a real big learn um for me i think um and then i did have an, another one that has kind of escaped me it was about, so do you mind if i look at my notes just 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 just, just to get it yeah no problem because um, i think it would be a shame not to it was so poignant i've forgotten it <laughs> <laughs> effective context and all that um so i'm sure it will pop up in a second uh so the other one yeah oh yeah cool so this ad adverse or negative reactions to to in terms of behavior or negative ad adverse reactions to something that you're proposing can sometimes if not more if not always mean you've probably got it right <laughs> um so so if we've got a set of behaviors in an organization and they've manifested themselves, you know, because that's acceptable. It's what we do. We don't manage performance here. We don't tackle uh, problems or confront problems in the moment. And it becomes a learned behavior of a group of people that then is taught to another group of people yeah. over a period of time. So that becomes not only comfortable, it becomes socially acceptable or even desirable right? <laughs> sometimes. So if you drop something into an organization and people go, oh my God, I hate this. Um, and I'll be honest, we had a lot of that particularly from a, a layer of leadership was we've got, oh god this is all oh don't don't like don't like this as a as a concept is that you've probably nailed it yeah. Uh, yeah. when when that happens and again is to it's to lean into that 
and to keep trying things and to keep experimenting and having a different kind of conversation with people. So this is where coaching becomes massively powerful, right? And, so, and then stop talking to people to try and convince them that what you just got them to do that they thought was horrible was brilliant because that's probably not going to work. But it's to coach them through that experience. So they were the two things that stood out really as learns. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sam. I'm conscious that you've done, um, been interviewed for the last 45 minutes or so um, and not had a moment to take a breath and we're about to open up questions to the group as well and to our colleagues on yes, the Yes, if I may actually jump in there Thank before you. we open it up to the room. We have had, oh, we've just had two questions coming online. Okay, <laughs> so the first one, I will read the question and then I'll unmute Donna who's asked it so that if she's got any further expansion, you know, mm -hmm. she can, uh, you can work that out. So uh, a question, uh, she apologises if it's not particularly articulate, but let's, let's, let's roll with it. We're trialling the use of objectives and key results this year. Uh, with goals being set by uh, management, and then the objectives and key results using a bubble-up approach by staff with the teams. The challenge that she's experiencing is that goals don't seem strategic, but more status quo, almost operational, which should be achieved by just continuing to do what has always been done. Uh, the growth conversation is always focused on financial growth and not about the what needs to be done to drive the financial growth? Uh, what are some actions that would help with this new approach? And Donna, I think you've unmuted yourself, so well done. Over to you, Sam, what would you say to Donna? Okay. Well, I mean, that was something that we met quite a lot, right? Is the goals were kind of often just people were looking for, it was a re-articulation of business as usual, mm -hmm. uh, and or people were maybe just using a KPI. Um, and that's then this is where we then this is where coaching becomes huge right because i can sit there and i could say to a leader in operations as a division for example that oh goals are about improving something doing something differently executing strategy they're not about re-articulating a strategic objective or a, or a key performance indicator um but just me saying that is not necessarily going to change that person's belief so Coaching can be massively powerful then in, in, in that respect um, to start digging it a little bit deeper and to understand why it is that the goals are coming out that way. Um, that's exactly why, for that reason, that's why we designed the method that we designed for setting collaborative goals. Um, so I've got some stuff that I can share um, with, with people afterwards in terms of how we built that method. Um, but essentially, I mean, if, if you can imagine like an agile board or like a Kanban board or whatever, and it's, it's got some kind of, it's got some columns that move from strategy on the left to your collaborative goals on the right. Is it like, that one? Uh, like this one. Yeah, no, <laughs> no way. Where did that come from? <laughs> um, and, and so this is the, this is the framework, the structure that we gave people to have these conversations that stop them. So, so the, the, the temptation, what was happening in the organization before is that the strategy column wasn't there. They didn't, the strategy wasn't on the table. We just went immediately into goal setting and, and, and as much information as there is out there and people are familiar with smart and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, some people are familiar with, with OKRs is that they still can't, they, 
they still can't start with the blank sheet of, of paper. And this is the bit where we started to realize that actually collaboration could help in this respect. So what people are describing is that I'm sitting on my own with a blank sheet of paper for 45 minutes saying, I wonder what other people are writing in terms of their goals. Because it's like, well, actually, let's just get in the same conversation and have that quite openly. And that, that was kind of one of the things that drove this. So what we have in the left-hand column are, are strategic objectives, right? These are the things that the organization has to, we need to achieve these things over the next 12 months. So that's the case, that's the kind of frequency for, for those high level strategic objectives. Um, then the first frame is ambitious ideas. So as a group of, uh, of people, what ambitious ideas do we have? And we've given people a set of questions, which again, I'm happy to share those to help prompt people's thinking. Now the trick here where this is difficult is to get people to not accidentally go into the second column too quickly into reality and talking about all the reasons why we can't do this, this great idea we just had. The first frame is it's a bit Disney approach-esque, right? Is that, you know, creativity only in, in this first frame. It doesn't matter how stupid you think the, the idea might be. Then what we do is we have a difference. So we will populate that with post-it notes Stick, so people just they do this on a whiteboard or whatever, stick all the post-it notes there. Then what we do is we only take the post-its forward that meet the next set of questions that are about reality. And reality in our context doesn't mean realistic. We don't have to be then go from ambitious to super safe. But what we do need to consider is what can we do in the here and now? Um, so, you know, have... have have we got have we got the appetite or energy to do it because you know if we're not excited about this idea then there's, there's probably not an awful lot of sense about doing it because we, we want to be excited about about doing something so then we take a set of post-it notes over um that do that and then this is where the last column is what really helped us get away from the business as usual kpi re-articulation stuff is when we talk about purpose so does does this idea for a goal that we have now now in this column support the purpose of our team or of the organization what value does it have to our, to us to others to our customers in fact what has the most value and again we only take forward the post-it notes that we think meet those questions and then what we've asked people to do is for their collaborative goals is set a work in progress limit of three at any one time and that's, to be honest, a very tactical thing that we did because the organization suffers from busy being busy syndrome. Um, so, so people would it, it quite naturally come up with a 55 point uh, goal plan in, in, in Excel or have 55 objectives, key results that are completely um, undeliverable is actually to have three. So that's, the, that's kind of where the method came from really in the first place, is that actually if we start with strategy and what our ambitious ideas would be towards that, and then we give people a set of questions that don't dictate the outcome, don't dictate the answer to the question, but they give people a nudge and a steer away from what's already happening. We also made a few anima animations, some videos and stuff, which helped to describe what, what we mean by collaborative goal in the first place. And to say explicitly, we don't mean BAU. We don't mean a KPI. A goal could be really helpful if a KPI goes red yeah. and we need to improve or change something, but it's, does that help? Donna, does that help you? Um, actually, it does. Hope you can hear me okay. Yeah, fine. Um, 
I think you nailed it because that what you described there for that actual approach is what I feel should be happening and where it's not happening. So our entire team is being siloed out to figure out all of those things independently. And I'm like, no, this should be a team approach. And so I like that you said that. It reaffirms that what I'm thinking needs to be done should be done. And I will take that back because if we go at it as a team, it'll help meet our department's goals um, as soon as I figure out what all the strategic things are. Because I have asked for those. I'm not getting the strategic items and so I'm missing that as well. So that was very helpful. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Um, right, so uh, one more question we've had from uh, Robert uh, and uh, I'll do the same, Robert. I'll, I'll, you. I'll just ask the question first on your behalf though. Uh, so Sam, you spoke about self-evaluation. It sounds very healthy and positive and it also plays into the lowest common denominator. Do regarding employees who were not motivated, a number of unmotivated managers and staff in our organisation have any tips on how a bad leader can help coach and develop staff through this method? Wow. I well, I I would I would wonder can a bad leader coach anybody? <laughs> because I guess that would be what the, that that would be something a component of defining them as bad in the first place. But I do, I do think there was one thing one thing that was quite important in this is that we 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 had a lot of that. That was the point I mentioned about. Um, one of the big learns that we had the immaturity or what might be described as incompetence or a lack of capability is not an excuse to, to do to, to do something different um, it, is that we, we have that described a lot but actually I think sometimes it's to look at the environment that those managers are, are, are working in so we have a lot of, of leaders who had been labeled poor or incapable or they, they won't coach they they won't they won't they can't they can't do that and i think if if um if flat out people cannot and will not why did we employ them um as 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 managers is 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 probably a question but actually to start from a different place and a different belief system that, that actually also it could be the system that they're in that's that's driving their performance so so what's asked of what's asked of them so there's a bit it kind of reminds me of um I think it was um, it was Gandhi maybe who who talks about a, a seed, a seed that grows and then fails. So when it, when you plant a seed and maybe it sprouts and then it dies, you don't shout at the seed for being incompetent. You look at the ground that it was planted in and whether you gave it enough water or too much or enough sunlight or not enough. And I think the same would go in that respect. Um, for for leaders managers employees whoever is that actually if we start off with the position that they're a seed and might actually just be in the wrong environment what's and it's to get underneath the surface and look at what's driving those behaviors if is it is it ignorance that they simply don't know that's because maybe they've never seen the value or maybe they've never felt the value personally of having a conversation that's about growth rather than about task maybe to look interesting things we found when we looked at KPIs or targets. So we're looking at, at, at where, where one of the things that they're measured on is purely their success is measured on income generation. So that's all they cared about. So this other stuff over here, this fluffy stuff you're asking us to do, I don't think that's going to help us generate. We need to, we need to 
hammer this, hammer this, hammer this all the time. And actually, when you looked underneath the surface for what they were trying to achieve as a team, income generation was a really bad, was a, was a really bad measure. But there's probably going to be an experience that those leaders need, need to have. And sometimes it could be even to confront the problem. Like head on, has the, has the problem ever been confronted clearly and directly? You know, it's one of those that nobody ever unconsciously recovers from incompetence. So it, if, 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 there's a, if there's a manager, for example, that, that is this typical de- definition of a, of, a, of, a, of a command and control kind of manager who's just telling people continuously what to do, um, how clearly has that been confronted? Because they're probably not going to wake up and have an epiphany in the middle of the night and go, oh, my God, I'm a terrible leader. <laughs> I'm awful. I'm going to change my ways from, from tomorrow. Maybe they haven't experienced it. Maybe, and, and again, this is where our, our methods come in. So in terms of self-evaluation, we don't just say to people, oh, by the way, you self-evaluate your performance now. Is that we give people a method, a structure to do that. So get feedback. We, we have a technology platform to help people really, really quickly get feedback from their customers, peers with a click of a button. And not to replace feedback yeah. by conversation mm-hmm. as well, but we know across an, org- an organization that's geographically dispersed that it's quite it's going to be quite hard to do that. So people can really quickly get feedback. Then we help them to track their progress. So given the feedback that you've got, where are you in relation to this goal? Are you on track, behind, ahead, whatever it, it might be? We want to, eventually we want to go key results style on that and measure those things in percentages eventually uh, and, and help them to course correct. So again, we give them a set of questions to help us is, is to kind of not leave them, not to leave them on their own because kind of if they had to, the, if they had all the tools and methods in the first place that they're working, they wouldn't be a bad leader anymore. Hopefully that helps. So Robert, does know. that help you? Yes, very much. Again, Sam, I think, that's, I think you hit the nail on the head that we've got managers in place of literally 30 years they've been in the same role. And I think when you said giving them structure, not just letting everyone just um, set their own goals and targets, but actually giving the management structure, like you said, and a um, way to feed that back to themselves. It's just a case of, looking outside of their own little uh, little world really i think i think it's really helped thank you yeah and i think leadership peer, peer learning communities is I mean, that's one of the things we've put in place to support to support this to happen that's massively powerful to learn from other experiences you know if you're one of these managers who comes thinking oh god remember when that sam guy came and did this ridiculous car wasn't that shit that conversation that was that's never going to work here to so sit down with a group of managers who said no we had that conversation it was brilliant it's one of the best conversations we ever had as a team is that there could then peer to peer be that jolting realization that they're not going to get from me sitting there arguing my 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 position is is to allow them to exchange those those views in in learning communities where again you can help with the facilitation but put put them in a space where they can have that realization that that their perspective is not the only perspective sure. that's everything from online can we open it up to the room? I'm sure there's lots of questions. Sam, I'm really curious. I work at Co-op. I'm really um, curious in terms of any barriers. So one of the challenges we have around, one of the conversations around rating is that we're inextricably linked to reward. Did you have a similar barrier or challenge? No, no luckily. <laughs> and I don't suppose it's going to help to say my only advice would be to to decouple goals from compensation <laughs> <laughs> it, is that i mean 
one, one of the challenges that we did have is that was on the table when I started. So, you know, I said there were a few things that were kind of suggested. One of those things was performance-related pay, or they were calling it variable pay. They didn't mean that. They just thought it sounded nicer. Um, <laughs> and, and people might be less, <laughs> people might be hoodwinked into thinking it would be awesome. Um, I, so, so that was on the cards, right? But, but so, so many difficulties and challenges because then that's a, that's a, because money is so emotive, that's such yeah. a huge driver and can be a huge driver. You know, one of the things, the reason we have collaborative goals is not just because it, it creates, seems to create better goals, because we've got more ideas and we can get that creative tension, friction, get people to bounce ideas around off each other, but we need more collaboration as an organization. That was a key behavior that we wanted to, to, to drive. The link quite often between objectives and pay fosters individualism. Um, and it's a really, really difficult, um, but, you know, and also, you know, we want ambition objectives concretely hardwired into, uh, pay actually encourages the exact opposite of that sandbagging. So, you know, if I'm not right, 10% bonus on the line, I'm going to set objectives that I know damn well, I can meet without breaking a sweat. Despite the fact, and then, you know, I talked about escalation of commitment that we AQA as an organization suffered from anyway. Imagine the difficulty if that was also, if pay was a product that, well, 12 months ago, I said I was going to do this. If I turn around and say that this could be a catastrophic waste of time, but I won't get my bonus. So it's, it's creating the mechanisms and there, there, are, there, are, there, are certain, there are certainly ways to do it. So I don't know if you're familiar with what Deloitte, do now in recent that, that actually they ask a very different type of of question they don't use ratings but they are still able to get data to to to, to link responses to those questions to to pay it's just kind of starting to i guess softly decouple they yeah you're right and those questions are something which have actually influenced quite a lot of the work that we've done with clients um, so they're very focused on what the manager would do with the person rather than asking them to evaluate how they've done. Yeah. That makes, so it's a very sort of forward-facing, future-focused uh, decision. Because what they, what they found in their research is that people are far better at articulating action they would take rather than their retrospective view of somebody's performance. So they refer to it as idiosyncratic rater effect, where a rating, a performance rating given by one person to another says more about the person that, that gave it than the person's performance who received it. And again, you imagine when you're, I mean, in an organization like AQA, right? So we do examination for, a, we take subjective exam papers in subjects like English and we have to grade them. Can you imagine if we went out to those people and said, oh, what we're going to do is based on whether you got one, two, three, four or five, we're going to pay you like this they'd be like well, hold on a minute that's because actually we, we're particularly when you talk to people who are researchers academics mathematicians it's just bad maths yeah. to calibrate to calibrate data like that that data is ordinal data where you don't know if the difference between one and two is one and you don't know if the difference between one and two is the same as the difference between four and five so you can't calibrate it you can't do force distribution curves you can't do a median average with it. It's just, it's, it's bad, it's bad maths, let alone sort of bad management of, of, of people. 
Um, so that's, that's a really difficult one, but I think there are ways to do it in the type of questions that you ask. Like Roger said, if you, can you flip that perspective from retrospective, thinking about the whole previous year, whatever, to, to the future, questions like I'd always want this person on my team or whatever it, it might be, I think can really help. It's to try, to try and start that de decouple. I have, an, I have an observation and a question, if I may. Um, the observation about what you've just been talking about reminds me of this dilemma about can everything be measured or indeed should everything be measured? And how should it be measured? And it reminds me of something that Ken Robinson once said. He said, rather than ask how intelligent people are, we should ask how are they intelligent? <laughs> and I, I love that question. It's a really interesting twist on, on you know, measuring things in terms of IQ, you know, a numerical measure as opposed to something which is more qualitative uh, and perhaps more subjective, it's more experience-based yeah. and so forth. Yeah. But the question I was going to ask you, because that's more an observation, is you're an advocate of continuous dialogue when it comes to performance management. I would suspect that most of the people in the room are, are of that mindset. Why is it so difficult for companies to do that as opposed to just these sort of mechanical event-based year-end appraisals kind of thing. Where does that come from? Well, I think, so some of this, well, some of this response will be research-based, but also some of it is purely my observation, is that, again, I think that mechanical way of having a conversation is learned behaviour. So where the appraisal came from in the first place is once upon a time, somebody in personnel, or whatever we called it then, said, gosh, these managers can't have the kind of conversations we need about performance, let's create them some boxes. And it's like, ah, they're still not talking about this bit, let's put another box in there. And over a period of time, and, and remember then that we get this cultural thing where a group of people say, this is how you'd be successful here and teach it to the new group of people. Generations of, of managers have been taught to do the wrong thing. So then there's that process which is really difficult of unlearning those those habits and ultimately even think about it again playing to the lowest common denominator which i find human resources is guilty of quite a lot is think of our worst manager and build a framework for them to use instead of saying well actually when push comes to shove maybe we have to get rid of our worst manager instead of continually building them putting more armbands on so they can stay afloat so it's a learned behavior because we've always done it that way on the flip side why is it hard for them to do the way we want to do it. Is there, is there something pushing them away from that as opposed to drawing them towards the status quo? I think it's a more uncomfortable kind of conversation to have for someone who's never had it. So, so, so to have a conversation, right? To, so the, the idea of growth conversations that we're pushing is that, um, let's say I'm Lisa's manager, is that the conversation is Lisa's, not mine. And that's very different to what they've learned over a period of time. It's the manager's conversation. I'm asking Lisa about what tasks she's done. I'm gonna give her a rating. Is what you do is you're shifting the ownership for the conversation. So that means that what we're encouraging managers to do is to talk about what's, what's become clear since last So we want them to ask humble inquiry questions, right? If those of you who are familiar with Edgar Schein, is to, to ask a question to which you cannot predetermine the answer that scares the shit out of managers who've never done that 
before. Can you imagine where they've always, they've operated quite successfully on the basis that I'm going to ask them a question. I think I know the answer already, but I'm going to lead them down a path so I get the response that I want. Is that we're, 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 we're creating, we're trying to create an environment where the opposite of that happens. And we've been really, really open and transparent. So all of the resources for this, to support this approach for managers are completely open to everybody. They're not in a special area of the internet where only managers can see them. So but everybody- It's also about the fact that they might not be interested in the growth of the person. They might be interested in just what, the, what outputs they're creating yeah. that are what they're being measured on. Yeah, and that's, the, that's kind of the point actually to, to, the, to the, the question we had before, Robert's question before really, is think about the environment that they're in because the, the environment is gonna drive performance and perhaps those kind of conversations more than the individual's motivation sometimes. So what can look like demotivation is purely that actually that's what's expected of them is that what they're, what they're asked to come back with is a response to where are we with this program, this program, this program, and what the person really wants to talk about is their career and their growth. And the person thinks, well, if I have a conversation to you about that, not only will I not get the answer to A, B and C, you'll leave. So, so there are a lot, there are lots of, little reasons that drive management but, but again I think sometimes that's the experience they give them an experience to realize that there's a different kind of conversation to be maybe they've never experienced what in that instance probably they've probably never experienced coaching in the in the sense that perhaps we in this room would define coaching as and we all know in, in the in the first place in this room are involved in coaching we know how fulfilling it is mm -hmm. to have someone grow as a result of something that we help them yeah and it's to help them see and, and, and again it's like as, as you know a habit is built over a period of time so it's not going to be that was one of the, the things that we had to really sell uh, sell's probably the wrong word actually but make plainly clear to the organization is that we're not going to change I mean by by today we're not going to change the entire organization we're about three months into this so there's still huge amounts of pain there are some brilliant stories that we're getting back um, we, we use a program actually called Fierce Conversations, um, Susan Scott book. Um, uh, we, so, so yeah, um, to really help people kind of have that experience of a different kind of conversation, to provide them with the right kind of resources to have a different kind of conversation. But it, it provides them with the why, why a different kind of conversation could be beneficial. And actually, so some, some storytelling, can really come into this when you start to tell stories of ex of organizations that, that they will have heard of like Kodak and Nokia who kind of suffered massively from the kind of conversations or actually missing conversations so it's where because these are the reasons why we why why we're losing why an organization loses its best people it does it doesn't when you when you don't tackle problems of underperformance in one area or you don't talk about a person's growth and how you can utilize them and how they could be f more fulfilled in their job it's not your worst people that go it's your best people that are not able to have the kind of conversation they want that go is just start to try and tell and again peer learning communities right get them to tell some of the stories rather than me try to be a, some sort of convincer does that help it helps a great deal, yes. And Roger will know I'm on board with the storytelling. Side. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's when you, if, and again, that's a central part of fierce conversations about making emotional connection, because we make emotional decisions before we do rational ones, 
as, as people. So if we can latch onto an emotional uh, connection with somebody as to why they could change the kind of conversations we have, the impetus for them going and doing it is, is much greater. The, the bad habit thing, again, I used to coach golf for a living. You know, okay. Life, and the saying practice makes perfect is, is nonsense. Practice makes permanent. Mm. So you'd have clients mm -hmm. practicing yeah. the wrong move. Yeah. What's the thing you ask them to practice yeah. and they come back having embedded it further? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the person who cannot not look up before they connect with the ball or whatever it might be, that's that's learned and therefore needs to be unlearned in the same in in the same way, which is why the, the course delivery model doesn't doesn't work. Where it's just, oh, we'll just do a half day workshop on performance management and everything will be fixed tomorrow. Because in the moment they'll all have an epiphany and I'll be carried out of the office on the shoulders of the exec team <laughs> with balloons and streamers. I think we've got time for one more question. Yeah. Can I ask a question about the, the software that you used, not specifically to talk about, it, but what, what was what was the reason for choosing it? Was it to actually to manage the process or was it to add value to the process? It, initially, it was the, the former. So initially what people were saying, so when we did these little experiments and things like that, and what people were saying is, we, they were, I guess you would describe them as prototypes, right? The, the tools that we were giving people, and they were all paper-based. And they were only prototypes, so we weren't gonna make anything digital just to do that. But people were saying, please don't give us this paper. They were like, you know, this is why we get set it and forget it and all of that kind of stuff, because we'll put something down in a Word document, put it in a drawer and forget where it is or forget where we saved it and all of this kind of stuff. And then and we were saying, we like this idea of get, getting feedback, but how do we do that? That's, and that's where it started to tip into becoming added, added value. Um, if I'm honest, I wasn't sure what we would find in terms of a provider to kind of meet a software solution to meet what we were what we were after um but actually there's some really good okay i mean we looked at pure okr platforms but also we looked at continuous performance management uh solutions and, and the platform that we went to it takes some of the admin pain away but also it adds value in in the sense of particularly helping us with alignment of of goals of making it really really easy for people to capture feedback to, to course correct, to be able to, you know, to access that on a mobile device from, from anywhere where they previously would have had a piece of paper. Whereas, is does this that help? not a, a danger um, if you start with the review and, the, and an increasing frequency of the, of the review and that's what the software is managing, that you're kind of not, you're actually going the opposite way from this rather than starting with the the big objectives and working down yeah. the, the yeah. no we, we start we start with the big stuff right. and so the 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 software itself doesn't help you do anything within the conversation itself okay. it's a vehicle for outside of the conversation so you can schedule a check-in with with your manager to, to get that in a diary to protect the time you, you can't do any you can't the software doesn't help you go through the check-in itself it doesn't guide you through the conversation likewise it's a place to kind of keep track of because you don't set you don't set goals within the 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 the, the system itself if that, so you, you have to have the conversation to be able to input into the system and that's where it takes for me it takes some of the mechanics away mm -hmm. of like what would have been a paper form 
or a PDF is now a mobile platform, but then it has some other, it does have those added, added value bits as well, where it makes it really quick to get feedback. Against, but you have to you have to have this conversation as a conversation. It doesn't help you do collaborative goals. That's what the method is is for. And um, hopefully we were quite careful. That was one of the challenges we had. Was all feedback through a system. That's don't like that. What about for you? We're not discouraging conversations. We're making it easier for people to gather information about their. If I said this was my goal, how how am I? How am I doing? And they can collect. You know, people can even collect it from external people to AQA from customers or from associates. They can get feedback from the system, out of the system, back into the, the system. So we've made it really easy for people to do that. Okay, well, we're at uh, 25 to seven. Sam, uh, you have uh, been talking for so long and yeah. we're so grateful because yeah, I know you. I've, uh, even though we've talked before, I've heard new things tonight which have been fantastic to hear and some really powerful insights. And so thank you very much. Um, we've obviously had a good response online and uh, I hope everybody in the room has found it really useful. And I think Sam deserves a round of applause. I would have kicked up a fuss if I didn't get one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks very much to everybody online, and uh, keep uh, keep your eyes peeled. I'll be sending around uh, some information soon. Uh, we've got some um, handouts which Sam has kindly brought along. I'll get copies of these electronically so that these can be uh, shared over the course of the next few days. So uh, thanks very much for joining us, and hope to see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.